Imagine a tree, a tree that, for security reasons, needed to be chopped down or at least pruned. Now imagine a group of people that would rather the tree be left alone. And these people, well, they're not tree huggers. And this is not the story of a greedy corporation tearing down a forest. It's a story of one army that wanted to take action that they deemed necessary and another army that wanted to stop them. Both sides took this tree so seriously it almost started a war. Today I have the story of the Korean ex-murder incident and Operation Paul Bunyan on the 187th episode of Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am Jeff Kelly, your host and storyteller. So, I hope everybody's doing great this morning. The weather here in Chicago is still strange, and we're still getting too much rain. So much so that flooding always seems a possibility. And now, of course, daylight hours are getting less, which can be depressing. So today's story is brought to you by Gary Burton from the Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. He suggested this topic a few months ago, and it's a great one, so thank you, Gary. And for all of you out there, you should be like Gary. Join the Coffee with Jeff Facebook page and start making suggestions today. You wouldn't believe what a big help that is to me. I can't ramble on too much before I get started, because i got to get out of here. I'm about to start shooting two short films, one that I penned called Song of the Dead and another one a friend wrote called This Zombie for Hire, so I need to get going. So, fill your porcelain cup with black java, add a touch of sugar if you'd like, and pull your chair close, and let me tell you the tale of a time when a poplar tree almost started a war. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. The North Koreans are very stern. They had their best troops in the, their positions just as we had ours in ours. Every day when you went to work, you had to be prepared for something to happen. And you've probably heard the term, you know, hours of boredom punctuated by moments of terror. That's sort of the way it was there. This picture is day-to-day operations within the Joint Security Forces. It shows two American soldiers, one with binoculars, one with a camera. This checkpoint actually looks out over the tree and the uh, bridge of no return. This story is about the chopping down of a tree. It was a 40-foot-high poplar tree. The operation to chop it down consisted of a convoy of 23 American and South Korean vehicles containing two eight-man teams of military engineers equipped with chainsaws, along with two 30-man platoons. In addition, there was a 64-man task force of South Korean special forces armed with clubs and trained in Taekwondo, supposedly unarmed. Only they weren't unarmed. They were secretly given M-16 rifles and M-79 grenade launchers once they were in place. Several of the commandos also had M-18 Claymore mines strapped to their chests with the firing mechanism in their hands. All this to chop down a tree. But there was more. 
a U.S. infantry company and 20 utility helicopters and seven Cobra attack helicopters circled above them. Behind these helicopters, four B-52 Stratofortress bombers escorted by U.S. F-14 Phantom II jet fighter bombers and South Korean F-5 and F-86 fighters also flew overhead. The aircraft carrier USS Midway had moved into the area as well. Keeping guard were also heavily armed U.S. and South Korean infantry. In addition, 12,000 additional troops were ordered to Korea, including 1,800 Marines from Okinawa. During the operation, nuclear-capable strategic bombers circled overhead. Again, all to cut down a tree. The thing is, the men cutting down the tree were being watched by around 200 North Korean soldiers, all armed with machine guns pointed in their direction. The tension was so high for the whole 42 minutes it took to fell the tree, most involved thought it was going to be the start of a war, possibly the beginning of World War II. To understand why the simple act of tree removal almost started a war, we need to go back to the 25th of June, 1950. That's when North Korea attacked South Korea, starting the Korean War. During the conflict, North Korea had the support of China and the Soviet Union, and their enemy, South Korea, had the support of the United Nations, primarily the United States. It lasted for three years, one month, and two days. And I'm not an expert on the Korean War, but from what I understand, it never officially ended with like the signing of a treaty. It ended with an armistice. The two sides just agreed to stop fighting. Yet hostilities continued over the years, and there has been several incursions and acts of aggression by North Korea. So with tensions high between the two countries on the Korean Peninsula and East Asia, an area was set up at the border which is called the DMZ or the Demilitarized Zone. This area stretches the length of both countries, about 250 kilometers or 160 miles wide from the Sea of Japan to the Yellow Sea. The buffer zone is about 4 kilometers or 2.5 miles wide. Within that is the Joint Security Area or the JSA. The JSA, which is also known as the Panmunjong, is often referred to as the Truth Village. It is used by the two Koreas for diplomatic engagements and such. The JSA was supposedly a neutral zone, the only place the Korean People's Army and the Republic of Korea, North and South respectively, can come together face to face. Over the border between the two countries is a bridge. Up until 1953, it was used for prisoner exchanges. Because crossing the bridge is a one-way trip, once you go over, you're not going to come back, it was called the Bridge of No Return. Near the bridge was a tree, a large tree. Now the problem with this tree was checkpoint number three. You see, the U.S. soldiers manned various checkpoints to keep tabs on the North Koreans. One of these, checkpoint three, was one no soldier liked to be stationed at. It was right at the base of the Bridge of No Return, very close to the border. Soldiers feared being dragged across the border, and once on the other side, chances were very slim that they would ever return. It was a nasty place to be. The North Korean soldiers would constantly taunt, harass, and intimidate the men stationed at Checkpoint 3. And apparently the American soldiers gave as good as they got. In fact, mooning the North Korean soldiers was a common practice among the Americans. Americans took to calling it the loneliest outpost in the world. 
The best observation post to watch over the checkpoint was called observation post number five. It gave the soldiers some comfort knowing they were being monitored at all times. But in the summer, when the poplar tree was full, it would block the viewing. Now at this time, North Korea had been accusing the Americans of attempting to rekindle the war. Bill Ferguson, who was 17 years old at the time he arrived at the DMZ, later said that he understood, if anything serious should happen, we probably wouldn't live. So enjoy each day as much as we could. Neither side trusted each other and neither side would give an inch. So when the Americans sent a group of soldiers to cut down the tree, they were told by the North Korean officials to leave the tree alone. According to North Korea, both sides needed to approve any landscaping. A second attempt to take care of the tree was canceled due to rain. But on the morning of August 18, 1976, a 15-man UN team containing a group of five South Korean Service Corps personnel led by Captain Arthur Bonifast and First Lieutenant Mark Barrett were sent to do a little pruning. Maybe trimming the tree rather than cutting it down would be more agreeable. Captain Bonifast was in his early 30s. He was a strict man who was described as a real good father figure who made sure that you followed the rules. He was smart and polite, and in just three days, Bonifast was due to return to the U.S. to be with his wife and three children. Once the trimming began, 11 North Korean soldiers arrived to find out what was going on. When the leader was told they were just doing a bit of trimming, he responded by saying, Good! But about 15 minutes later, Lieutenant Pak Chow, who the UNC soldiers had previously nicknamed Lieutenant Bulldog due to his history of confrontation, ordered the work to be stopped because Kim Il-sung personally planted it and nourished it, and it was growing under his supervision. Kim Il-sung was the North Korean leader since 1948. Captain Bonifat ordered the work to continue and turned his back on Lieutenant Pak Chow. The U.S. soldiers were trained to turn their backs on the North Korean soldiers as a gesture of power, a way of showing no fear. Pak at one point said, The branches that are cut will be of no use, just as you will be after you die. Upset by being ignored by Bonifast, Pak set a man across the bridge of no return. When a North Korean truck crossed the bridge moments later, things quickly turned ugly. Soldiers climbed out carrying crowbars and clubs. Pack repeated his demand that the tree trimming be stopped, and again, Bonifast turned his back. Slowly, Pack took off his watch, or some reports say his eyeglasses, wrapped it in a handkerchief and placed it into his pocket. An American officer noticed that another North Korean officer rolled up his sleeves, but before he could warn Bonifast, Pack yelled, Kill the bastards! Or kill them all! Or something to that effect, reports vary. Using crowbars and clubs, as well as some of the axes dropped by the panicked tree-trimming soldiers, they attacked. Captain Bonifast was quickly hit and fell to the ground. He had been hit in the face with an axe, splitting his helmet and glasses. Other North Korean soldiers began hitting and kicking him. One of the U.S. men yelled, Jesus Christ, they're killing him! First Lieutenant Mark Barrett managed to jump over a low wall to escape, or possibly to help another soldier. The whole battle lasted about a minute when the UNC forces managed to disperse the North Korean guards and place Bonifat's body in their truck. There wasn't time to be scared, one of the U.S. soldiers later said. I was just trying to survive. 
With all the confusion, no one saw where Barrett had gone, but soon there was an eerie calm. When he was found, the soldiers saw that Barrett had suffered the same fate as Bonifast. His body was laying on his back, covered in mud and blood. Axe wounds riddled the young officer's body from head to toe. Although he was alive when found, he died before he could get to the hospital in Seoul. Both Bonifast and Barrett died with their pistols still in their holsters, never having a chance to use them. They were the first soldiers killed there in almost a decade. It didn't take long for North Korea to release their version of the incident. They issued a statement that said, Around 10.45 a.m. today, the American imperialist aggressors sent 14 hoodlums with axes into the joint security area to cut down trees on their own accord, although such work should have mutual consent beforehand. Four persons from our side went to the spot to warn them not to continue the work without our consent. Against our persuasion, they attacked our guards en masse and committed a serious provocative act of beating our men, Wielding murderous weapons, and depending on the fact that they outnumbered us, our guards could not help but to resort to self-defense measures under the circumstances of this reckless provocation. The CIA, however, considered the attack to be pre-planned by the North Korean government. It was believed that it was an attempt to get the U.S. forces to act aggressively, therefore using it as an excuse to get the U.S. to leave. The CIA report titled DMZ Incident delivered by the agency's director, George H.W. Bush, to Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, described North Korea's endgame. If the U.S. forces withdraw, if the U.S. resolves appear to be seriously weakened, we believe the North might act on its own overriding goal of unification and seize the opportunity to achieve it militarily. Gerald Ford, the American president, couldn't understand why this had happened. Bill Clements, the Deputy Defense Secretary, said, I can't understand how they could have let the Koreans get so close to them and get themselves clobbered and chopped up. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger was asking whether there was a North Korean fishing boat that the United States could shoot up or capture. If I had been one of those men and being beaten to death, he remarked, I would have used a firearm. And he wanted a quick retaliation for the actions. If we do nothing, they will think of us as the paper tigers of Saigon, he said. There may be another incident, and then another. At the time, Ford was not in the U.S. Capitol, but trying to secure his party's nomination for the president of the Republican National Convention in Kansas City. Back at the White House, Kissinger headed a meeting of the Crisis Committee, the Washington Special Action Group. Bill Clemens stated that, I think we should cut that goddamn thing down, speaking of the poplar tree. The group resolved to bring down the tree with a show of military force and to raise defense readiness to DEFCON Level 3. The tree, at this point, wasn't that important, but what it stood for was. Allegedly, Kissinger didn't think that chopping down the tree was good enough and suggested that the U.S. strike the barracks of the suspected North Korean perpetrators. In the end, Ford, probably with the thought of not wanting to start World War III, especially during an election year, decided to approve the tree cutting, but not the attack. They didn't want to be too aggressive, but they wanted to make a point. The idea was that if the North Koreans, as Korean scholar Van Jackson said, want to retaliate against the show of force, then we'll light them up. But otherwise, let's keep in mind a sense of proportionality. As for the U.S. soldiers, 
We just want nothing more than revenge, to beat them to a bloody pulp, no matter what the consequences were, said Bill Ferguson, a soldier who was there at the time. But we respected our officers, and they told us constantly to control ourselves. So after days of planning, the scheme was to be called Operation Paul Bunyan after the mythical American Lumberjack. It would be the greatest demonstration of military power the United States has ever made on the peninsula since the Korean War. And as the aircraft carrier moved into Korean waters, North Korea shifted to full combat readiness. The way it was explained, said Bill Ferguson, it sounded like it was going to be the most carefully staged and concentrated display of power since D-Day in World War II. A couple of guys got sick, the tension, the nervousness of it, said Mike Bilbo, a U.S. soldier there at the time. Everybody was on pins and needles, and then we pulled out from our camp. There were Cobra helicopters hovering just off the ground, getting ready to take off. We were prepared not to come back, said Joel Brown, who was a 19-year-old private at the time. It was kind of surreal. We've been there since 1950, and it was all going down over this tree. So, three days after the axe murders, a massive military operation began for the sole purpose of cutting down a tree. It was the most heavily guarded tree removal operation in history. With hundreds of locked and loaded troops, a convoy of 23 American and South Korean vehicles, helicopters, nuclear-capable aircrafts, and B-52 bombers, ready to begin dropping their payloads. The aircraft carrier Midway stood nearby, with planes ready to take off. Some estimated that there was a 50% chance that this would start a war with North Korea. We can see the North Koreans across from us setting up their machine guns, said Mike Bilbo. I'm looking around to where I'm going to go to when the artillery comes in. In fact, all the artillery, ours and theirs, were zeroed in on us. Using a Vietnam surplus chainsaw that didn't work so well, a soldier mounted a ladder and cut into one of the tree's three main limbs, all the while thinking that perhaps a sniper might have a gun pointed at his head. Before they knew it, the first branch came falling down onto the engineer's truck, denting the hood. I vividly remember the crash it made when it fell onto the truck and the cheers we all made, raising our axe handles and yelling, Ferguson recalled. When the North Korean soldiers appeared near the bridge, the guards on the other side opened their shirts to reveal Claymore anti-personnel mines strapped to their chest. They wanted to let them know that crossing their bridge was certain death. In the end, about 150 to 200 North Korean troops watched, armed with machine guns and assault rifles, as the tree was cut down. And up in the air, the gray overcast skies were filled with military helicopters. Ferguson later talked about the surreal situation he was in. Nukes in the air. Who knows how much artillery from both sides concentrated on our location. Crazy guys with mines on their chests, yelling at the North Koreans to come over. The KPAs less than 100 meters away with machine guns trained on us. And me and my buddies are standing around with axe handles and 45s, he said. It took almost 40 minutes to finish the operation. And after the tree was felled, a 20-foot-high stump was deliberately left behind. Still, even though the day ended without conflict, there was still a concern that this could spark something later. In fact, for some, that was the scariest part, waiting to see what the North Koreans' response would be. But in the end, nothing seriously happened. 
about the only incident that occurred was shots being fired at a U.S. helicopter later that day, but there were no injuries. To everybody's surprise, later that day, North Korean leader Kim Il-sung issued a message expressing regret for the incident. It read, It was a good thing that no big incident occurred at the Panmunjong for a long period. However, it is regretful that an incident occurred at the Joint Security Area, Panmunjong, at the time. An effort must be made that no such incident may not occur in the future. For this purpose, both sides should make an effort. We urge your side to prevent this provocation. Our side will never provoke first, but take self-defense measures only when provocation occurs. This is our constant stand. The United Nations did demand that the North Koreans punish those involved and make adequate preparations for the families of those killed and injured. But in the end, they decided to emphasize that this is a step in the right direction, as it was the first time since the North Korean armistice in 1953 that North Korea accepted responsibility for violence along the DMZ. When General Richard Stilwell, the commander of all U.S. forces in Korea, talked about the dramatic mission to chop down a tree, he said it was a simple military operation performed with precision and discipline. Major General John Singlab, who was the chief of staff of the U.S. forces in South Korea, was more reflective. The only reason Kim Il-sung finally backed down, he wrote in his memoirs, was that we made him understand the danger he faced. The Joint Security's advance camp was later renamed Camp Bonifast in honor of Captain Arthur Bonifast. And the housing for the battalion's North Mission was renamed the Barrett Readiness Facility in honor of First Lieutenant Mark Barrett. In 1987, the stump was finally removed, and it was replaced with a stone monument with a brass plate inscribed to the memory of both men. On April 27, 2018, the two current leaders of North and South Korea planted a tree near where the ugliness took place and unveiled a stone marker which read, Planting Peace and Prosperity. We are here today, not under the shade of that infamous Normandy popular, but rather in the solemn memory of two U.S. Army officers, Major Arthur G. Boniface and First Lieutenant Mark T. Barrett, who died while performing their duties in the Joint Security Area at Panmunjom on the 18th of August, 1976. I am especially honored to speak today because Major Art Boniface was and still is my friend and classmate from West Point, class of 1966. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. So a little bit before I go, you might have noticed that I talked a lot about soldiers on both sides carrying axe handles. That was because there were strict rules of the weapons one could bring into the joint security area. Also, you know, the North Korean War lasted a little over three years, but the TV show MASH was on for 11 years. Hmm, just a thought. Anyway, how about the ending credits? Did you enjoy this podcast? Well, you know, podcasts like this can only be published with help from people like you. We need money to keep it going. So why don't you be one of the good people and support us by visiting SciCon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm, and look for the Patreon link at the top. And of course, thank you to everybody who already supports the network. 
Speaking of SciCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find so many amazing podcasts. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you should join. And, and you can suggest topics for episodes just like Gary did. Story ideas are always welcome. If you want to support the show but you don't have the money, then just go over to iTunes or wherever you heard this podcast and leave a review or stars or something. Those really help. And remember, links to all the sources that I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 35 years for being my wife of 35 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media. I love you guys. I'll be back in two weeks with something else. Thanks a lot. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream, didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee more coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee with Jeff Coffee, more coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee Thank you.